You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. Oh, I saw a great movie today, and Dad would say to me, what was it? And I said, well, gee, I don't remember the name of it. It was a Cagney movie, or it was a Cary Grant movie. That's the way I classified movies when I was a kid. Former AMC TV host Bob Dorian, today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Ever since there have been movies in America, that's over a hundred years now, people have been putting together their lists of their favorite movies, their favorite classic movies. Some 30 years ago, Bob Dorian, the longtime host on American Movie Classics, now known simply as AMC, decided to assemble a list, a book, of the greatest classic movies. Now, these weren't classic movies necessarily in the sense that we typically think of classic movies but they were movies that were timeless and important in their own way. I had a chance to talk with Bob Dorian in 1990 when that book came out, so here now, from 1990. Let's talk some old movies with Bob Dorian. When you put together a list or a book like this that is essentially a list, how do you choose? Isn't it like choosing which of your children is your favorite? That really is uh, a question that most people ask, and it was really hard because all of these are favorites of mine. I started out... And the list had about 250 films in it. And clearly that was not going to fly. So uh, we got it down to 100. What I eventually wound up doing, I don't know whether this will be too long for the program or not, but I, I got a hold of three friends of mine who are really interested in films. And I said, if I were to ask you to name 25 films off the top of your head, what would they be? I'll be back in five minutes. Don't look anything up. You don't have to know years or dates or, or people or anything. Just what occurs to you. And my wife was also instrumental in that. She picked a 100. And I had this list of over 200 films. And I compared those. And everything that's in the book was mentioned by at least three of those people. So there were three, my wife, four, and myself, five. So it was three out of five. But you did obviously limit this in terms of in terms of the, uh, the years that the, they were talking about. We're not going to talk about right. The Sting or, or anything more no, recent like that. That'll be the next one. That's <laughs> uh, originally, <laughs> originally, I was just going to do the 30s and 40s. And then I thought, oh, gee, there are a lot of good movies. I mean, 1951 was the day the earth stood still. And so I have to go into the 50s. And then I was, I was like, well, I'll just go over the edge to 51 because I must have the day the earth stood still. I love that movie. And then I thought, oh, real window, <laughs> 54. <laughs> so I went up to 1954, and I started with um, uh, 1930 was Hell's Angels, I guess. It's typical of that period. Could you put a title in a book called Classic Movies if you didn't like it, but you knew objectively that it was a classic? All right, yes and no. That's, <laughs> that's really two questions. Uh, yes, I would I would put it in even though I, I didn't like it, which is part of the control that I had in asking these other three people. And one of them was specifically a person who was very knowledgeable about the movies but has completely different taste from mine, 180 degrees away. Uh, and I wanted to know what his input was. Uh, these people are credited, by the way, in the, in the book. Classic movies is a very... Uh, it's a very difficult word to describe. 
uh, we can. You will notice in this book that uh, it, it's. Uh, we don't see Gone with the Wind. We don't see Wizard of Oz. There have been libraries written about these movies, and for that reason, I really didn't want to include them because we all know those are classics. But I see a classic as a typical example, a classic example, typically. Mm. Uh, really, that reflects the time period that these things come from, which is the time in which I grew up. I'm not really a, a, a movie critic. I'm not an expert on films. I just love these films, and I remember a lot of the stories from them and I remember seeing them the first time around when I was a little guy and it was just great to go to the movies on Saturday afternoon and you could stay all day if the matron didn't catch you and those are classics to me and classics are also one, one of my definitions of a classic is a film somehow you are compelled to want to see again and again and again and again and all of these are like that for me I just want to see them over, and every time I do, I, I find some new thing about them. Yeah, I was just going to say, is, is, it, is it because of the stellar plot or the wonderful yeah. acting or the compelling storyline, <laughs> or is it just something that makes you feel good about watching it? I think that's what it is, Bill. Uh, most of them, uh, many of them didn't have compelling storylines, nor did they have great, great actors. There were very few really great, great <laughs> actors, and those who were, I mean, Lawrence Olivier could be considered a, a great stage actor, and he had great trouble when it came to Hollywood. They hated him. Uh, Wuthering Heights, he was almost thrown off the movie. He was second or third choice down the line, and here's a classic movie, I think, in every sense of the word. Uh, I think it was the people, really. I would go to the movies on Saturday, and I would say... Uh, Oh, I saw a great movie today, and Dad would say to me, what was it? And I said, well, gee, I don't remember the name of it. It was a Cagney movie, or it was a Cary Grant movie, or it was a Henry Fonda movie, or a Jimmy Stewart movie, or a Catherine Hepburn movie, or a Spencer Tracy, or Abbott and Costello. That's the way I classified movies when I was a kid. And a lot of these films that I was to see later on as... Uh, as a commentator on these, I would say, oh, boy, I remember that. Now, you get this wave of deja vu, and I can tell you that Loretta Engel was sitting next to me, <laughs> and we were trying to sneak up into the loge. It was a marvelous, it's, it's a feeling, and that's what makes the movies classic for me. I, I can't help wonder how many adults, you know, well, well past childhood, still remember, oh, that's a Lionel Barrymore movie. <laughs> you know, yeah. they, they don't know titles. I, I saw one. Oh gee, a couple of years ago, it was a great Lionel Barrymore. I don't, to the, I don't remember. I don't know the the title of it. I know it was a great movie. I loved it, but couldn't tell you the title to save my butt. That's exactly the response I had uh, throughout my entire life. And <laughs> uh, now I, you know, I, I'm, I, I really have to know the titles <laughs> of these movies <laughs> with a little more efficiency than I did maybe fifteen or twenty years ago. But I, they were instantly recognizable, and the movies had personalities to them individually. I remember seeing the Third Man. And and seeing Wells come into that wonderful way, they bring Orson Wells into the end of that film, and say, I I know that guy. He was that was the guy from Citizen Kane, the guy from before I knew it was Orson Wells. You know, it strikes me that these movies are filled with oh, that's the that guy. Yeah. That's, That's the next book, Bill. I'm going to do. <laughs> I haven't told anybody this. I want to do a character actor book. That works by way of description. Mm -hmm. um, short, fat, weak man with uh, bald. And then you can go short, fat, weak man, wavy hair or mustaches. And you just look for the picture. And then you'll see underneath it that it was, oh, I see, it was Donald Meek. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know I one of the greatest thrills of my life was a few years ago when 
I actually got a book that listed the names of all the people who played the parts in all the Three Stooges shorts. Mm -hmm. So, so you knew, and now I've pro I've forgotten them all again. But, but you knew all the names of the guy who always played the cop, the guy who yeah. always played the mayor, right. you know, or, or or the sergeant. Those great character actors yeah. who were always working. And that was that was probably the best and safest way to be in the film business, and probably still is. Uh, Gene Hackman is almost that kind of an actor, although he is certainly a leading player by any of today's standards or any standards at all. But uh, he's able to do that. We see him in film after film after film, and he's not afraid to, to do a, a small part. Uh, or tackle a big part. It was something that's completely different from the last one that we've seen him in. And he is, in that sense, um, that old-fashioned uh, ensemble player. And we had a lot of those in those days. And that, in essence, is really what the B-movies were about. They were stars on their way up and stars on their way down and in between. And then, you know, catching them in their great magnitude. Like Alan Ladd is in Citizen Kane. He plays a court reporter. I don't know whether he's even in the credits. But it's a fun thing to look for. Or early Lucille Ball before she mm -hmm. was comical. After this short break, Bob Dorian talks about classics that started out as flops. Now back to my 1990 conversation with Bob Dorian. Were these uh, heralded in their day as, as what a great movie this is and what a, what a movie that people will remember for years to come? No, in fact, there are a number of stories in the book that are really the, quite the contrary of that kind of feeling. Everybody hated Casablanca in the beginning. Uh, Ingrid Bergman thought it was terrible. She thought her career was finished because of it. Humphrey Bogart didn't want to do the movie. They really were not quite sure of this whole thing coming out right. In fact, they didn't know what the ending was going to be. And they kind of flew with it. Uh, and the, the classic was pinned on to it, I think, in later years. The Miracle on 34th Street opened in June or July, not at Christmas time, because they really didn't know what they had there. And look at that movie. Look at wonderful, beautiful Natalie Wood was, and, and Edmund Gwen, who did another movie uh, three years later called Mr. 880. Have you ever seen that? Mm -mm. It's a wonderful, true story. And uh, here is Edmund Gwen again, playing a different kind of Santa Claus, and Mr. 880 refers to a true case in the uh, Secret Service records of a counterfeiter nobody could find. He used to counterfeit $1 bills. And Burt Lancaster gets on the case, and there's a love interest. And it turns out that his love interest has a man who lives upstairs, his, her uncle, who's Edmund Gwent, who has a little printing press. And every time he needs money or somebody in the neighborhood needs money, he just prints it up. And that's why they were never able to find him. It was, it was quite innocent, and he thought he was doing the right thing. Never had any idea he was doing, doing anything wrong. And he said he just needed it. And he was this same personality again as old St. Nick that we saw a Miracle on 34th Street sure, three yeah. years later, and he's giving money away. And it, it's based on a, a true story. Wonderful story, and that's in the book. A lot of people don't know that. Wow. Film, now, 1950. Now, now, Leonard Malton was here a couple months ago with oh. the latest edition of his uh, new video guide, and he said one of the things that surprises people, when the consumer, when they go into a video store, who now assume that every movie ever made must be on video by now, to find that a lot of the movies that they assumed, uh, classic movies, mm -hmm. are not available on home video. And now how do you get, how do you find these movies then? Do you just have to wait until TNT shows them or AMC or, or, or. Thank you for that. <laughs> 
I think in a lot of instances, yes. Uh, they, a lot of them haven't been released for uh, the video marketplace, although there are thousands and thousands. But there are how many thousands of films must there be? It really boggles the mind. I wonder how many they've lost that we've never seen again and that we can't get. <clears throat> uh, American Movie Classic shows uh, uh, about 1,800 to 2,100 films in the course of a period where they become available to us in these legal windows where we're allowed to show them for licensing purposes. And that includes the RKO uh, Film Library and uh, Universal and Paramount. And we have some really exciting things coming in 91. We're getting the old Republic serials. Ooh, Captain Marvel. <laughs> and Gene Autry and some of those. I just can't wait for those. Wow. I've been trying to get them to do a Saturday afternoon double feature with cartoons and with the serial. And there's some interest in it around the place. Of course, they really have to examine the full demographic and whether we can do it and whether we can... There are all these legalities that I really don't understand, but I would love to do Saturday afternoon at the movies the way it was. Whatever happened to to the movie as an experience. I mean, you know, people today, you know, we, we, my wife and I will go to the movie and it's full of young people who are just there because they have nothing else to do. They're not there to see a movie. They're there just to pass some time. Whatever happened to go into the movie as something that you planned and that you looked forward to and you used it as it was an experience? Well, when I was a boy, a long time ago, <laughs> this really has to do with them. Um, the society and the way it's changed. Before I was in my teens, there was no television. So the way we got our news was from the Path A newsreels. Whatever happened to that chicken? A big event was to go to the movies or the picture show, as my parents would call it. And nowadays, we're inundated with, with uh, so much media that it's really a kid in a candy store time. And people have become jaded to the whole thing. That's why the whole sex and violence has escalated to the point where it can go no further. Um, when I was a boy, we came from uh, um, Saturday and Sunday nights where the family would sit around and literally look at the radio, just like Woody Allen has it in radio days. That's the way it was. And our imaginations were really ripe. And that reflected itself in the movies. There was much more imagination involved, and we were all co-creators in a way with the, the spirit of the film. So when you went to the morgue to see the dead body, you never saw the body. Nowadays, the body is exploding in front of you, and people are sticking ice picks and, and noses and things. It's just, it's really very difficult to watch some of these films. The horror films of the old days were uh, horrifying in the in the spirit of the movie. That they they reached in and touched that terror that's in all of us from primordial time. Uh, so it was more of it was. Capital was more of an event in those days because you got to go out and see a moving picture. You couldn't turn it on on the television. And sometimes we were able to see some of those stars of the radio on the screen mm -hmm. and see what Fibber McGee and Molly looked like. See Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. See uh, Bob Hope and Bing Crosby and the Glenn Miller Band and Sun Valley, Valley Serenade. It was a wonderful, wonderful, exciting time. And each one of these was a gem in its own right because we had nothing to compare it to. So that was the place to go and the place to, to, to first meet young ladies and, and take them somewhere. And the ice cream parlor after and the trip to the candy store for a nickel bag of candy that would have. Those are, those are the days when they said a nickel bag, they meant candy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Things have changed. <laughs> 
Bob Dorian died in 2019. He was 85. And you can find easy Amazon links to Bob Dorian's book at our website, HeardEverything.com. And that's also where you'll find my interviews with two stars from those classic movies, the great Mickey Rooney. See, that's the trouble with people today. They can't, and youngsters particularly, that get into trouble, get into gangs. It's hard for them to accept their own individuality if they only knew how important they were. And my 1991 conversation with Ginger Rogers. Shoes to dance in to match the dress. And they'd always bring me my shoes from the dyers, and they'd still be wet. And I'd have to dance in shoes that were not dried. And they, you know how a shoe does, it begins to, to shrink up. And of course, we post new episodes of Now I've Heard Everything here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find us on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, a conversation with another great actor who maybe wasn't in one of those classic movies that Bob Dorian was writing about, but he did pretty well for himself anyway in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, even into the Austin Powers era. My 1990 conversation with actor Michael York. Yes, I, I was Michael Johnson. And when I applied to be an actor, there was a Michael Johnson. And uh, I had to choose another professional name. And uh, right at that time, Player's Cigarette brought onto the market a brand called York. And I thought, ha-ha. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Bill Thompson.